grab an equaliser to keep themselves 100% still in the title chase. Defeat would add a completely different complexion. Oh, off the bar, and Robin blasted over. That was nearly an own goal, and Iron Robin from a metre out hammers it over the bar. You can't write this stuff. If you read it in a book, you'd never believe it. But it's happening Hello everybody, welcome to the Teams of Our Lives with me, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. One of these weeks, you're going to sing that in a Freddie Mercury style, and I am here for it. How would I do that? These are the teams of our lives, or something similar. I think I've already done that. I thought you meant... Yeah, I think I have. If I haven't, then that is poor of me, but I'm pretty sure I have. Are you just waiting for one of the great Barcelona teams to uh, go into... A different area of Mercury. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not talking about Barcelona, um, certainly not directly uh, today, Andy. We are going to talk about Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund. Yes. What a... T- I said Dortmund as if it ended with a T there. Borussia Dortmund. Um, what a team they were, Andy. They they caused a big old splish splash in Germany and on uh, the continent of Europe as, as, as in, in European competition um, as well. Before we get to, to that, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to point out that Borussia Dortmund, they don't have the history that some people might think, because you always think, oh, it's them and Bayern, that you can, you can be tempted to think there's a sort of a Madrid-Barcelona kind of vibe going on there. And, and yes, at times there, there has been in a sort of recent history, but they, from 1963 to the mid-90s, they didn't win the league. In the mid-90s, they became a force winning two league titles and, of course, the Champions League in 1997. Then they had a sort of a few quiet years, uh, relatively speaking, and then Matthias Sammer uh, came in, great player he was, and they, they won the league in 0102, reached the UEFA Cup final. And then since then, or after then, rather, until Klopp came along, they, they didn't win a trophy, Andy. Managers kind of came and went, and some big names... But they they weren't the club that people now know them as. No, they weren't. And um, they're a really different club um, by the time that Klopp's there than that they were in um, the late 90s and early 2000s even. Um, because, yeah, Dortmund in, in many ways have a have a terrific history. If you're talking about framing them in competition with, with, with Bayern, that's, that's different because... Yeah. Um, the phrase that we always use now for, or that internationally is used for um, games between um, Bayern and Dortmund, the Klassiker, yeah. it's a bit of a follow-on. Obviously, it's seen as a, a German version of, of El Clasico, but um, and it means the Derby, according yeah, to Luke Moore. Yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I will never tire of that either. Uh, I think the, the, the interesting thing is that really, the Klassiker in German is. Bayern plus 
you know, current significant mm. other, really. <laughs> and um, I think you're right in that what Dortmund have done to create the impression, certainly in, in younger viewers and younger fans, that um, it is a kind of Barcelona-Real Madrid situation, is the fact that um, Dortmund have been Bayern's greatest irritant, by and large, for the best part of a decade now, which mm. is, is is something that is really difficult to do. And um, I think you look at where Bayern have gone since their their, their difficult moments in in, in the eighties, and it it has been hard to really break their dominance. And the moments where Bayern's dominance have has dipped have, have normally been self inflicted. Now, of course, there was some of that in this, but what made Dortmund so remarkable is one. They really did come from nowhere to take the title from Bayern. And mm. two, they didn't just do it once. They did it two seasons in a row. They did it 2011 and 2012, which is something really, really remarkable, actually. Mm-hmm. And as we see since those days, you know, Bayern just clean up every year now. So it shows you just how good it was, actually. In a weird way, you kind of look back at it and think, oh, my goodness, it's perhaps even bigger achievement than maybe we realised at the time. Yeah, I mean, they provoked, Dortmund provoked Bayern into being their best ever, which sure. is what they've been since then. And I think you look at, um, particularly, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning in a minute and talk about how mm. Klopp built them to this point. Mm-hmm. But at the end of 2011-2012 season, when Jupp Heynckes is already in charge of, of, of course, before he goes on and wins the treble the following season, Dortmund... Uh, win the league, um, virtually clinching it in a very spicy classica, if we're calling it that, uh, Westfalen near the end of the season, where um, uh, Lewandowski scores the winner for Dortmund, and mm-hmm. Iron Robin has a penalty save near the end by Roman Weidenfeller, and it it gets totally key owned by um, <laughs> ne- 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 Nevin Subotic uh, <laughs> afterwards. And it's, it's that, and the next time they meet is a few weeks after that in the German Cup final where um, Shinji Kagawa's last game. Mm. He, he has an unbelievable match. Lewandowski gets busy as well. They beat he Bayern. Gets a yeah, they beat Bayern 5-2 in the final. And mm. it's... it's it's like, I think I've, I might have used this comparison before, but it's a little bit like in the Richard Linklater film, Dazed and Confused, where um, all the freshmen are getting licks from from this jock, O'Banion. And um, these two kids run into, the, run into the house. They're just about to get got by him. And then the mum comes out with a shotgun and goes, get off my property. <laughs> and uh, he steps back and goes, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. I was just in sco- escorting your fine young son's home. And as he starts going down, the mum goes in with her shotgun. And as um, he starts walking down the path back to the truck, the two kids stick their, their heads around the door from inside the house and smile, smile at him. And he goes, I saw that, you little shit. You're getting so many licks next time. <laughs> and that's exactly Dortmund with those two kids. In the yeah. final, they uh, and and that was the moment that that Bayern said, right, okay, okay, we're gonna mm. we're gonna absolutely destroy everyone from now on. Mm. And of course, they had that incredible travel season the year afterwards. Yeah. So 
Klopp arrives in the summer of 2008. As we say, Dortmund have had not a, a, a brilliant few years since that uh, the last trophy or last league win under Sammer. An um, understatement. It, it, yeah, they, 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 nearly, the, they nearly went bust uh, in in two thousand and five. Exactly, so they nearly gone bust. They finished thirteenth the, the season um, before Klopp took over, and Klopp came in off the back of a ticket, having done very well with Mainz, taking them from the third tier to sort of mid table in the Bundesliga. He, he, he'd done very very well indeed. He was a young up and coming coach. He had a certain style with his play and about him as well as a, as a guy, which, of course, we're all very, yeah. very familiar now, Andy. And Dortmund thought, well, we're having a bit of this. Yeah, and I think that sense of him as a guy is, is really important. It was mm. important then, and it's still important, actually, at Dortmund now. Um, they miss him a little bit, um, not <laughs> just from the sporting success, but in terms of um, the, the warmth of his personality and the fact that he was someone who became, despite coming from the South, become like fully ingrained in the club. And, you know, I suspect he probably thought after his long playing and coaching association with Mainz that it will never be the same anywhere else. I think that's the remarkable thing about Klopp, actually. He's created this closeness, this special relationship with two other clubs since. You know, yeah. if, if, if we were talking about him in, in relationships, I think we'd call him... A serial monogamist, really, <laughs> and but the the click between Dortmund and and, and Klopp was was really quick. And you, t- you talk about his personality; he was a kind of national celebrity of sorts, but not for his coaching at the time when he joined Dortmund. Now, of course, he was linked to and interviewed for other jobs. Um, there's a famous story about him interviewing for Hamburg and not getting past the interview because he didn't turn up in a suit. Um, <laughs> and by this point, he is a very famous TV pundit. He did a lot on um, uh, the, the 2006 World Cup in Germany. And you know what he's like. He's such an entertainer. People loved him. And, you know, he's, he's erudite. He's funny. He's interesting. He's warm. All of those things. But I, d- I don't think people expected him to become a top-level coach from there. But he goes in at Dortmund on to say they're on a budget is putting it mildly. As mm-hmm. we were saying, Marcus, they're recovering from their brush with bankruptcy um, when they had to appease creditors and Hans-Joachim Vatska, who's still the CEO, played a huge part in that. And they were minutes, really, from ending up playing mm-hmm. regional football. And uh, Klopp talks about it now and has talked about it and uh, said when... Dortmund made him the offer. He's interested. It's a big club. It's passionately supported. They write him down a number and push it across the table. He has a look at it and he's like, what's, what's the real offer? You know, mm. th- this is less than I was getting at Mainz. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where Dortmund were at the time. Yeah. A- and then um, they revised the offer ha- happily. He does get the job. And it's a decent start. They draw with Bayern in the first home game. But in the second home game, it's his first Rafir derby against um, Schalke. And it's at Westfalen. It's going badly. They're 3-0 down. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, you know, it, I, I don't want to say quite it's a sliding doors moment, um, mm-hmm. but it does have an influence on um, how he gets time and patience at Dortmund. Um, they're 3-0 down. They come back. Alexander Fry 
gets a couple, he scores an 89th minute penalty and they get the draw from that. And all of a sudden, Mm. There's this big emotional whoosh behind Klopp. And that is something that's hugely important for him. At at the end of that first season, which is very much a rebuilding one, they end up sixth and what, probably two points from qualifying from Europe. Um, They were very close, very close. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a really good first season for him. Mm. And um, then by the time we get to, 2010 he's really building something special with young players who and when we talk about Klopp and the Gagan pressing I think the young and hungry nature of the squad is absolutely imperative um yeah and you know there's 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 a there's a point um where they um they go away to a to a castle on a training camp after a particularly bad result. And that is where they make this commitment, this commitment um, to do everything they can on the pitch, to be like 110% fit, for everyone to run as much as the next guy, to, as Klopp said, um, help and be helped and ready to mm-hmm. be ready to be helped. Uh, and that's a... A turning point for them and I think the interesting thing is by the time we do get to 2010 2011 of course there are there are a couple of key signings at the start of the season and um, you know I think particularly you look at Shinji Kagawa um, who they end up signing for 300,000 euros in the end Robert Lewandowski who at three and a half million is seems like you know a small signing it's a significant amount of money for mm. Dortmund at the time, we have to say, because they've not been spending anything. Well, those two go on to be very, very important. Kagawa, almost instantly. Um, Lewandowski is a little bit more of a, a slow burner. But still, from that point to like where they end up at, at, in, in, in spring 2011, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Hmm. And with with Klopp and and, the, and building that side, it's interesting. Some people often throw that the, the sort of facts around or the stats that you know. Well, after a certain amount of time, Klopp actually hadn't done as well at Liverpool. Let's say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had done at Manchester United, or these, these kind of things. Mm. And with, with Klopp at Dortmund, you know, you could say the same. Well, he only finished seventh or, or sixth uh, in his first season. Then he finished fifth. You know. We sometimes we want managers to have an instant impact, and 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 only if a manager has an instant impact, therefore are they kind of worthy of mm. being put in a certain bracket. But with Klopp, yes, sometimes managers, if they don't make an instant impact, then they kind of just wither away. But with Klopp, you can see the impact, you can feel it, and you just have to say he needs to be given time. Because some managers, I'll oh, give him time, give him time. You think, nah, I'm not sure actually. I don't, I don't think this is going to improve it's a difficult Mm. call of course and sometimes people get it wrong sometimes they get it right but with Klopp it was obvious as it was at Liverpool that he's turning the ship around here and and Dortmund as you say financially and so on it was a huge job Um, and they weren't the side that that he turned them into um, hence him turning them into them but you know what I mean they weren't this kind of oh the second best side in Germany when he Mm. took over no one near and and, and, and you mentioned the signings of, of, of Lewandowski and Kagawa and uh, Pizczek. You could chuck in there as well that summer um, too. Dortmund did have a, 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 a decent scouting network and obviously a youth system. And he really 
made that, um, you know, it really started to really pay dividends when Klopp was there, bringing these players and signing them in that season, where, of course, they'd go on to win the league and suddenly people outside of Germany became much more aware of, of the current Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's a really good point, Marcus, that he's a very, very good um, prospector for, for, for talent with um, loyalty to people he, he believes in. Um, mm. You know, you think he, he brought Subotic from Mainz, who was absolutely key as well in, in, in those couple of seasons where they won the title in 2011-2012. In and um, then, then you look at how important Yuri Shahin was to that side in mm. in, in, in 2010-11 uh, as well. Almost, the I guess what Brazilians would call the volanche, the, the steering wheel of the team. This sort of deep-lying playmaker who... I interviewed him for The Guardian a couple of years ago when he was in his second spell at Dortmund. And he said um, on the night of the of, of the, the Champions League final in 2007, his parents went out for dinner and him and his brother watched it in, in, in front of the television as Borussia Dortmund supporters. And they'd made like a European cup out of cardboard and, and tin foil. And they jumped up and down, sort of uh, pumping it in the air when um, when when they won the when they in won 97. the yeah not in ninety seven yeah. yeah and um, you know so so playing for Dortmund was huge for him he was someone who's wise beyond his years because he was given his debut as a sixteen year old and he was the youngest player for Dortmund and the youngest goal scorer in the Bundesliga until Yusuf Makoko quite recently actually who obviously mm-hmm. made his, his his debut at sixteen years on one day. So I think to have someone who could map out the game for, for Klopp, although so much of the game was built a, around um, physical pressure and um, running as a unit and being incredibly fit and dynamic. to have Heavy someone, metal football, Andy. Ex- exactly. To have someone who could put their foot on the ball was absolutely immense. Not that Shahin didn't, loses temper once or twice. I mean, you know, we've talked about it on uh, OTC and the Ramble before. The brilliant moment where they um, win a Friday night game at um, Cologne and him and Podolski are having a little bit of to and fro during the game. Uh, Podolski's obviously playing for Cologne at this point because uh, Germany had beaten Turkey 3-0 in the week leading up to that. And um, Podolski's doing the 3 nil fingers to him uh, and they're, they're, they're having a little word and um, that the, there's, there's a booking um, for both of them and then um, and it's absolutely pouring down with rain on this this Friday night as well it's 1-1 going into the final minute and uh, Shahin scores this heavily deflected winner right at the end and he sees Podolski by the halfway line and makes a beeline for him runs towards him and then probably about 10, 15 yards away from him, stops and does a big knee skid past him so he can <laughs> knee skid all the way up to him and say, in your face. And Roman Weidenfeller, one of the more experienced um, players in the team, the goalkeeper, he's miles out of his goal and he just does this incredible <laughs> sprint to get in Podolski's face just to protect Shahin for the, the, the second mm. yellow card. So... You know, there's a great sense in that moment of mm. they've got each other's backs, and that they're smart as a group as well, which I, I think is is really really important because yeah. uh, you know this is still a team that's growing, as you say. Pichet goes on to become something else, something really really special for them. 
Um, but Lewandowski in that in that first season, um, he, he was there in 2010, 2011. He's actually quite a frustrated figure. Um, he, he finds it hard to get in the team, certainly initially, and he can, can contribute some valuable goals as the season goes on. But at that point, Lucas Barrios, the Paraguayan striker, is a very different type of striker who's very quick, one-touch, fox-in-the-box. Mm. He is the main man. He scores, what, 21 league goals that season. He's absolutely vital to 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 what Dortmund do. So whereas um, Lewandowski becomes absolutely integral to what Dortmund do later on, he's just settling in. Piszczek, who's been embroiled in match-fixing allegations back in Poland, he's just settling in and um, really establishing himself as, 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 as one of the key players. Uh, and then you've got the emerging Mario Goetze as well. Because mm-hmm. I think everyone looks at that first season that Dortmund won the title under Klopp in 2010-2011 and they look at the game where Dortmund went to Bayern and won at the end of February. They won 3-1 there. They were super impressive. And it was the first time that really the world, because you had people watching from like 80 different countries, it's the first time that Klopp's Dortmund really emerged on the world stage because you have people watching it from what 80 countries, maybe more. Um, it's the big game on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I was covering a game at St. Pauli, actually. And I went to their clubhouse over the road. Um, where they play all punk and scar tunes and all, 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 all the rest of it. And there was a telly showing it in the, in, in the corner. And it was an incredibly intense match. But I was the only person in there watching it because once St. Pauli's done, football is done for, for, yeah, their, yeah, for them yeah. for the day. And they're getting into the, the music and the socializing. So I went off to watch the second half somewhere else. But I think Dortmund was so impressive that day. I think that's the point for a lot of people, you know, maybe casual Bundesliga watchers where they think, yeah, okay, Klopp's Dortmund have, have got something about them now. But oh. if we talk about where they're going and in terms of actually capturing the title, I think you have to fast forward to April where um, they're playing Hanover at Westfalen. And just before the hour, uh, Hanover take the lead. I think it's Mohamed Abdullahi who, who scored the goal. And all of a sudden, it's going a bit bad for them. And Goetze just emerges scores a brilliant goal where he gets the ball, does this dribble through the middle of defence, this wonderful nutmeg on one of the um, Hanover centre-backs and then like pokes it in the corner, gets uh-huh. them level, and then they go on this rampage in the final 25 minutes of the game and win 4-1. And th- th- there you see not only the, the potential that Dortmund have got, what they can grow into beyond that first title, that maybe there's something a little bit more than ju- just them taking it off Bayern for a season. But and, and, and the fact that Goetze can grow is clear because he's only 18 years old and Klopp is constantly trying to calm down the, the, the hype around him, which is quite a difficult job. Um, but also, when he's celebrating in that game, um, Goetze lifts his shirt and gets the yellow card for it. And underneath, he's wearing... Um, a top of Dede, the Brazilian wingback who is at the club for what a decade ends up as a title winner in his final season at Dortmund in 2010, 2011, having won it 
in 2001-2002 under Matthias Sammer. So he's the only link between those two very different teams, both in terms of leadership, expectation, because Klopp was never expected to win the league at Dortmund, and um, in in terms of resource as well, because they they had proper money back in 2002, Borussia Dortmund. You know, they'd just gone on the stock exchange. Um, and, And so I think to... To, to show that Dortmund team to show not only are, are we can we win stuff now, not only have we got a huge future, but we connect with the club and we respect the past. Mm. I think that's really, really important. And that whole feeling of togetherness, again, you see it during the celebrations when um, they're being received in the centre of town in front of a load of fans. Shahin, by this point, has had an ankle operation, so he's on crutches. And Klopp's cuddling him and going... I can't believe you're leaving. And he's going to Klopp. I can't believe I'm leaving as, <laughs> as, as, as well. So that's quite emotional. Yeah. And, but then going back before that, the night they won the title, um, Nevin Supertic, who, you know, it's, it's quite, they're, they're not like superstars by this point, the Dortmund team, by any stretch of the imagination. He uh, lives in quite a studenty area, um, Nevin Supertic. And he's driving home and um, everything gets held up because like there's traffic everywhere there's people mm. out of out of their cars partying in the streets all the rest of it and he's like well i'm not really going anywhere so he just parks his car and gets on the roof and takes his shirt off and starts swirling <laughs> it around and, and joining in and you know they're a real team of the people yeah i mean they they really were and i think that that's they were very very likable with, yes. with Dortmund being the hipsters' choice, as they as they're often called now, it was it wasn't always like that. And Klopp made them into this. As I say, that's the, it's the forming of the team we know now mm. is, is is what we're talking about. These these very likable players and and so on, and winning those 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 league titles. And and they were close in in 2012-13, finishing second and runners up in the Champions League final, being beaten by Bayern, of course. And and you look at the side in that final, um, and and the players that. He brought through or signed early on. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Lewandowski, Marco Royce. You mm. know, would he be the player that, it, that that we know of now? If it wasn't for for Klopp, you could say the same with, with the likes of Mario Götze, Mats Hummels as well, um, Jakob Blaszczukowski. Um, okay, I think he was at the club just before Klopp. You know, but but some of these these big names, these big players, um, again, just fitted the bill perfectly with Klopp and, and the way he got those supporters going, you know, the yellow wall and all that kind of stuff. He ignited so much of that. Yeah, he, clicked, he clicked with Dortmund, totally. Completely, completely. Um, and of course, uh, you know, in his uh, penultimate season, they finished second. In his final season, they finished seventh and, and runners-up in the cup final. And, you know, much has been written about Klopp. He was exhausted and perhaps the team were and... And, and so on and so forth, but he had a great run. But you think about what he had to do as Dortmund manager in creating this side. He had to, as you say, they were they were the ones that were pestering Bayern, and of course, a couple of times there, winning the league, they they got the better of them, and then obviously winning the cup, most notably five two. But he had to overcome Louis Van Gaal's Bayern. Uh, Van Gaal, I think, was at Bayern at the time mm. when, when when Klopp was there. Jupp Henk's uh, uh, Bayern, who, of course, they won a treble, but he still got the better of them every now and then. And Guardiola's Bayern. You have this winning machine that is Bayern Munich. Um, and, of course, as you say, the modern-day Bayern is perhaps 
somewhat uh, in reaction to Klopp's Dortmund. But they had these great coaches, these great players, and financially they were so much better off than Dortmund, as you've already said. It's little wonder after this run that Klopp was exhausted, and uh, and especially with the style of play and the type of guy he is. Um, but they had to be full, fully kind of, as you say, 110% fully into it to try and make a dent on Bayern's, uh, uh, you know, trophy cabinet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I think I think you're right to to point out Klopp being a bit exhausted by the, the end of it because not just the energy with which they played, but the emotional energy that went into every occasion yeah. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is something that was absolutely huge. That's why he was loved so much there. That's why he continues to be loved so much there. And, um, you know, even by the time of the 2013 final, Things have started to change a bit. The cat is out of the bag. Dortmund mm. are off the back of that London final, um, sort of branding their likableness, I think is probably the, yeah. be- the best uh, way of, of, of yeah, putting I it. I agree with you. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, that's something that they they feel fine with doing if you speak to people at the club nowadays. You know, it's, it's, it's part of their... Um, it's, it's, it's part of their um, MO, I suppose. Mm. But... By that point, as you say, they you know they they go on they they buy um, Marco Royce, um, who's originally a Dortmund boy, but they buy back from Borussia Mönchengladbach after paying his mm-hmm. buyout clause, and that's why Klo- uh, that's why Klopp was always so sanguine about. Of course, two days before the Champions League semi final against Real Madrid, he um, found out that Mario Götze was going to Bayern and had mm. to face all the press conference grilling of it. And he said, well, you know, it's part of the game. They paid his claws. I'm sure Borussia Dortmund feel the same way about us taking taking Marco Royce. And there's that extraordinary bit where Gundogan scores the equaliser mm. in the Champions League final. Yeah, another player he, he, he helped shape. Yeah, that's right. And, you yeah. know, Gundogan, when he was bought by Klopp, he wasn't even... 100% bought into the idea that he was going to be a professional footballer. <laughs> you know, he, he he was very big on completing his studies and seeing where his talent and his yeah, luck yeah, took yeah. him from from there. And he'd been a wide player earlier in his career and and Klopp made him a ball-playing midfielder in in, mm. in, in, in the centre of the park permanently. Sorry, um, you were going to say about a moment in the Champions League final when he equalises. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, uh, and yeah. there's this awkward bit where all the cameras, of course, pan to Mario Goetze, on the Dortmund bench, who's injured and not playing in the final, knowing that he's going to leave Dortmund in a few weeks, and all his mates sort of grab him. Everyone on the bench starts grabbing him and like rubbing his cap on his head, and he looks very, very awkward. Um, but I, I mean, by that point, um, yeah, the, the, the genie was out of the bottle uh, to a to a certain mm. extent. But I think what's so great about the two title-winning teams in 2011-12. There's such an incredible innocence to them in, in a yeah. way uh, because they're a young team, because they're so joyous, because the difference with Klopp at Dortmund and Klopp at Liverpool, Klopp at Liverpool is not expected to win the league immediately. He's expected mm. to win the league at some point. Klopp at Dortmund is never expected to win the league in mm. anyone's wildest dreams. So to do it not just once, but mm. twice and win the double and batter Bayern in the final um, of the DFB Pokal is something that's incredible. And as you say, in terms of resources, even by the time they get to the 2013 Champions League final, and it's um, post-Royce, for example, they are still running a smaller wage bill than Queen's Park Rangers, which I, I think says a certain <laughs> something about Queen's Park Rangers at that time yeah. as well, but still. Andy, I think we should leave it there.
Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you about uh, Klopp's Dortmund. We we love them, and, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people still love Klopp and Dortmund as a result. Um, thank you very much for listening to the teams of our lives. Andy, a pleasure, my good man. A pleasure as always. We'll see you next week, everybody. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.